0: Critical Automotive Industry Update, Australia, October 2020, Year of the Weasel. That's next. I'm John Cadogan from autoexpert.com.au and I get new cars cheap for buyers here in Australia. Hit me up on the website for that. These are the six industry stories that reached out and grabbed me down there. Recently Alpha Romeo bravely of course swimming against the tide of Shitsville consumer sentiment mainly by continuing to exist loneliest job on earth Alpha Romeo sales representative Shitsville Alpha sales of course imploded in 2019 when the brand fell to under 1000 units a 30% reduction Yes, well done there. This year so far, they're a further 23% down, so at least they're consistent. But still undeterred by the sprint to double-digit sales, they have just jammed all of the useless and annoying safety technology into a refreshed Julia lineup. Active blind spot assist and traffic sign recognition, stuff like that. Yes, the stuff real drivers want. None of this stuff, of course, adds to your pure driving enjoyment, so there's that. So, if that's an ingredient in the recipe for an Alfa Romeo turnaround, I'm frankly not seeing it. I just don't know if this would be sufficient to arrest the evisceration of Julia sales, which are down an incredible 55.2% so far this year. Jesus. Julia is, of course, a beautiful car, kind of like Tiffany at the office, although she's not a car, clearly. However, just like Tiffany, invite Julia into your home at your peril. But do lock the knives away, won't you? And throw the key into the Marianas Trench, just for safety's sake. 63,950 big ones, plus on-road costs. More than enough for a great deal of pain and heartache. After innumerable consultations with Dr. Jack Kevorkian, by Ouija Board, obviously, former relevant Schittsvillian motoring titles, Wheels, Motor and Witch Car have been offered a last-ditch chance at Jesus-like resurrection. And who doesn't want that? Our media, which I think you'd agree is crying out for a rebrand, If not me, then someone else would have done it. Putting the soul back into print. Yes! R has appointed Andrew Beecher as the new CEO. Big Bad Beach is, of course, the dude who convinced Channel 9 that car advice was actually worth 60-something million bucks, despite coming with a profound case of Albor's Tony and Paul in a boxed set, however temporarily. Hashtag respect. Wheels et al. was of course part of Bauer Media's mad experiment in how fast a billion... Bloody insect, I hate that! Spring in Australia, yes! Part of the mad experiment of Bauer Media about how fast a half a billion big ones can be disappeared as if by friggin' magic, and they did it quite well. Beach apparently has the imprimatur to spin the motoring rags off and do what he wants with them Provided, of course, it makes money. But he is only acting CEO officially, which sounds like, at least to me, one hand on the friggin' parachute already, seemingly. I am so torn by this recent development, frankly. No more EQC bullshit car of the year, disappointingly. I do find the children endlessly entertaining, don't we all? Last year's car of the year, that atrocious plug-in GLE with a different name, awarded to one of the group's biggest enduring advertisers, was truly hilarious, at least to me. It's up there with a second term for Trump, frankly, and they were so upliftingly defensive about it after the fact. So there's that. But I also have a soft spot for the mastheads themselves, you know, having contributed extensively to both. Back when I had hair and I was still attractive to women who needed not a Zimmer framed in order to get around good times. Look, I think Beach is the guy who can do the whole Jesus, wake up, it's Easter Sunday thing with these titles, but the group makes most of its revenue from subscribers, right? Like, remember that? Subscribing to a paper publication shortly after the last T-Rex bit the dust back when that kind of thing was popular... That's a hurdle, right, in the current world, because as subscribers shuffle off to that great car park in the sky, they simply won't be replaced by 20 and 30-somethings just gagging to subscribe to something printed on paper, will they? I mean, the only people in their 20s and 30s touching a paper magazine are sort of just getting the lounge room in order for their grandparents who've dozed off listening to Ben Fordham. Stormy seas ahead for the kids, though, That might be entertaining. Will Wheels Magazine survive? And motor, that's the question. Let me know what you think in the comments. Can these mastheads hope to return from the brink of irrelevant? Let me know. (music) Mazda has announced pricing for the new BT-50. Finally, BT-50 is, of course, the somewhat effeminate clone of the new Isuzu D-Max. They're built in the same factory in Thailand, and they roll down the aisle arm-in-arm, kind of like a musical. If you put those facts in a blender, and if you're a loyal viewer of this (laughs) fine channel named Tone, you are able instantly... To rebrand the venerable BT for contemporary relevance with a new name that accurately reflects this vehicle's new hair and makeup, so move over BT50. I give you the SheMax. <laughs> Australia tone. You're a legend, son. Hashtag respect. I am humbled by this. Seriously. Wish I'd thought of it first. Seems so obvious, you know, retrospectively. Don't all the great names. I'm seeing the bogan middle class here. Out there in working class bourbon. The double wide driveways and carports. All festooned with his and hers dual cabs. It's how we roll as a nation after all. A D-max for him and a she-max for her. Living the damn dream. If you're wearing tradie lady underwear, and I know I am, I've always wanted to do something in women's underwear. It's a motoring journalist thing, apparently. We've all got it, this latent gene. I don't know why it's recessive in most people. However, whether it's rushing to hot yoga or that vital concrete pour, it might interest you to know that the She-Max kicks off at $42,090 for the XT dual Cab chassis base model shitter and it extends up to $59,990 for the Shemax GT which is about three grand less than the equivalent one designed specifically for a man. That's a bit of gender inequality right there. I think Mazda is really going to hate me for this story again so that's kind of nice. Yande now, why should they get a pass? Industriously taking geologic time to launch the eight-speed dual-clutch version of a car for which I have enduring mad love—the Golf GTI killing i30n. Yes, total weapon that car, the fastback, like so sexy. i30n is seriously popular on this channel. It's got 550,000 views across five videos and counting. It's one of the most popular performance car buying inquiries that I get from the business side of things as well, and I can tell you that the most popular impediment to a dude buying one is it's manual only, right? That holds a lot of people back. Typically, the prospective owner has a partner, and said partner either can't or won't drive a manual, so... (laughs) Pretty much game over. Find a different car, dude. The dual clutch is an obvious solution, of course, due for local launch, finally, in the first half of 2021 here in Shitsville. So that's between 60 more sleeps and 240. Yes. For the first time, the new i30N will be available with NDCT, a wet clutch, eight speed dual clutch transmission, which offers paddle shifters and enables three new N performance functions for a sportier experience. Have you noticed that every time a car maker launches a DCT, they have to clarify that it's a wet clutch type? Thanks mainly to the sterling job Ford did on the original dry clutch power shit. DCT, yes. Ford, of course, doing for DCT what Volkswagen did for the reputation of diesel. Yes. Pro tip, okay, if you're thinking about buying this car, certainly have fun test driving the new DCT i30N, obviously, when you can safely. But do not just drive it like you stole it on that test drive, okay? That's kind of important. The DCT is going to be awesome at drive like stolen. Okay, that's a done deal. DCTs are all excellent when you're up them for the rent. It's what they were designed to do. That and save money on the fuel, which is kind of irrelevant in a performance car. Do as much test driving as possible at low speeds while you're out there. I know this cuts against the grain of performance driving enthusiasm, but please do that. Three point turns, reverse parking off a hill start, walking pace stuff like that, okay? This is typically what DCTs are bad at. But if the new 8-speed DCT in Sorrento is anything to go by, and hey, I really don't know how closely they're related, but probably quite a bit you just might be pleasantly surprised by the refinement of this DCT as well. They're also talking up the new lightweight seats in the press release, but I'd suggest that's mostly bullshit. They're only 2.2 kilos lighter, and hey, it's a reduction in the sprung mass. So there's that. The forged 19-inch alloys are probably... Much more relevant here to handling at least 14 kilos less in total, and all of it off the unsprung mass. That might make a difference. Bigger brakes on this new i30N as well. <laughs> well not that they were really needed. They were already fairly death-proof in the brake department, and I did try to kill them memorably over 10 hot laps, and, uh, hey, I failed dismally. And I'm not at and centre, but I gave it a red-hot go, so there's that. Unfortunately... Hyundai's over-enthusiastic spin doctors have been allowed out of the dungeon on this car, and there's been quite a lot of that going around lately in the Hyundai spin doctoring camp. First, it was, quote, after-blow technology for air conditioning. What a brilliant name. Then we had, quote, centre fascia descending to the console like a waterfall on the upcoming Tucson, like a friggin' waterfall. Please. Now there's... Cover your ears, kiddies. A quote, N-Grin control system. I'm not joking. I wish I was, but I couldn't make that up. They mean customizable drive mode selection. Plus, nauseatingly, cover your ears again, N-Grin shift system, meaning overboost. I suppose, and an end-corner-carving differential, which means an E-diff or servo-controlled limited slip front diff. Once is a mistake, right? It could have happened to anyone. This flowery shit, I'd suggest, is a pattern of abusive conduct. Did Albert Biermann sign off on these words? Because he seems like a somewhat serious chap. He's certainly serious about the engineering side of things coming from the BMW M division. And this is all a bit more Hasbro than it needs to be, frankly. This car is not a child's toy. Why not let Optimus Prime do his thing and the N division do its thing? Just saying. Dudes... Let the product speak for itself. Come on, it's already a technical knockout, this car. You are making it sound like a children's toy. And from the Department of Soft Targets, let's talk Jaguar. Grace, space, pace. And an interior lovingly handcrafted from landfill and ocean waste. Yes, who doesn't want that? Park your posterior on premium pollution in your next Jaguar. Yes, you know you want to. Jaguar has made a firm and yet bullshit commitment to, quote, Destination Zero. That's real marketing right there, I'd suggest, at least when you think about it in the context of Jaguar ownership historically. Buy a Jaguar, we will take you to Destination Zero. Like... Have you ever wondered what's really there at the end of the highway to hell? Season ticket on a one-way ride. Hey, Satan, paying my dues. Hey, Mama, look at me on my way to the friggin' promised land. The Jaguar Destination Zero anthem by Bon Scott. R.I.P. Floor mats and trims, well, they're going to be made of recycled industrial plastic, fabric offcuts and fishing nets. Not fish nets, fishing nets. I certainly hope there's a discount for that. This commitment to designing sustainable luxury interiors using responsibly sourced and recycled materials is part of Jaguar Land Rover's Destination Zero mission. (gasps) With innovation helping to make environments safer and cleaner while offering customers a premium, sustainable option. Meanwhile, back in reality, I call bullshit on this emphatically being a car maker is one of the least sustainable undertakings on earth it's allowed obviously but it's not sustainable just face facts dudes no matter how many clothing offcuts you paste into some rich wankers new f pace you cannot tell me the business model is environmentally sustainable And I know this mainly because I remained awake for at least some of the friggin' time at university, you know. The car industry, and in particular the luxury car industry, is all about selling you shit you don't actually need with an incredible carbon footprint bound up in the construction of every unit. That's just how this works. And I'm not saying don't make luxury cars. Do sell shitloads of them if that's what you want to do. I'm saying the greenwashing of this business is intelligence insulting and it has to stop. This kind of tokenistic virtue signaling bullshit is both disgraceful and indefensible and Jaguar Land Rover should be ashamed of itself even for suggesting it. Finally, in hilarious Nissan happy news, the Japanese car maker continues its brave battle with Renoblastoma. As an offshoot of its research into this bizarre medical condition, the company has discovered the human gullibility gene. Fancy that. With 500,000 confirmed cases so far worldwide detected under the new research program. Nissan's bold experiment is ongoing, of course, just last month clocking over a total of 500,000 LEAF electric vehicles deployed among the human race for testing purposes. It's sobering stuff, isn't it? Half a million EVs out there with no active liquid cooling system on the batteries, which almost guarantees them to fail early, especially in a hot climate like Australia. Kind of screams environmental disgrace, doesn't it? Well, it does to me. World EV Day was September the 9th, just gone. And like you, I forgot to bring a cake which also marked the Nissan experiment's half-million-unit milestone. With more than 14.8 billion clean-air kilometres driven since 2010, leaf owners around the world have helped prevent more than 2.4 billion kilograms of CO2 emissions. One of the sadly salient defining characteristics of life today is the toxic ecosystem of information delivery. Companies which feel free to make any statement, and journalists with no technical training or respect for the facts, and hey, even if they do, their balls are cut off vis-a-vis calling out this crap for what it truly is. So let us break this claim down. 2.4 billion kilos is 2.4 million tonnes of CO2, which sounds a lot, and you'd need a big balloon to put it in, certainly... But it is, in reality, about half of 1% of Australia's annual greenhouse emissions for just one year. So every leaf ever sold over 10 years represents an alleged offset of half of 1% of 1% of the world's total greenhouse emissions for just one year. Like, come on. Of course, the grandiose Nissan CO2-saving claim does not include the emissions embodied in manufacturing all those LEAFs, nor the emissions cost of repairing the pandemic of prematurely dead batteries, which fail early because of inherent R&D deficiency. There's no liquid cooling system preventing the batteries overheating on recharge, and this kills them early. The hotter the climate, the earlier they die. Conclusion number one, half a million Leafs would stretch roughly from Melbourne to Brisbane, about 2,000 kilometres along the proud southeastern and seaboard. Not that you can cross the borders with the other half of the Leafs, but hey. And that's their decade-long contribution to saving the friggin' planet. It's approximately zero. Humanity cannot therefore hope to tackle greenhouse with EVs. The problem is simply too huge in scale for this kind of alleged intervention to be effective. The second conclusion, obviously, the car industry needs to stop this disgraceful greenwashing of itself. Humanity cannot hope to consume its way to a planet-saving future. Consumption of alternative products is not The answer, car makers simply say anything they can to sell you a car. Any car. Any appeal to any altruistic vulnerability you have will be sufficient. If you are susceptible to the notion of saving the friggin' planet, Nissan and others will concoct a bullshit narrative to get you over the line. In fact, the greenest car on Earth is pretty much, the 10-year-old Corolla, the median motorist down under, probably already owns. This is pretty sad, but it's also quite true.